Today on Abbreviated Bios, I'm going to go over one of the most influential politicians of the 1800s, who was kind of considered the great villain of American history, John C. Calhoun. And yet, some modern progressives have recommended actions very similar to Calhoun's views. Hello, I'm Stephen Yoder. John C. Calhoun was born on March 18, 1782 to politician Patrick Calhoun and Martha Caldwell in the Abbeville District of South Carolina. He graduated from Yale in 1804, and he then studied law under Tapping Reeve in Lickfield, Connecticut, and was admitted to the bar back home in Abbeville in 1807. While studying in the uh, North, he met his cousin Floride Bono Calhoun. They married on January 8, 1811. They would have 10 children together, seven of whom would live to adulthood. The modest fortune he gained from the marriage enabled him to become a planter politician. In other words, he didn't have to worry too much about um, practicing law. Calhoun was elected to Congress in 1810 as one of the war hawks urging war with Great Britain. Well, obviously the war happened and uh, he supported the treaty that ended the war. A few years later, he was named by President Monroe to be his Secretary of War in 1817. During his eight years in that position, Calhoun put through ambitious programs of fortifications and reorganized the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Calhoun was considered a stern, humorless man of high intellect. He had very few friends, but his intelligence made him a leader. Harriet Martineau, who had visited the United States, called him the cast iron man who looks as if he had never been born and could never be extinguished. Most of his colleagues thought he was completely focused on becoming president, uh, but he would never, but he would be too associated with the South to ever succeed. He first ran for president in 1824, but soon dropped out for lack of support. Instead, he was nominated for and elected to uh, the vice presidency. He was the seventh vice president, and he served under John Quincy Adams. In 1828, he was re-elected vice president, but this time under Andrew Jackson. It is during this time that Calhoun is transformed from a nationalist leader to a sectional leader of the South. In 1829, Floride instigated the Petticoat Affair. Secretary of War John Eaton had married Peggy, a woman with a questionable past. She organized the wives of the cabinet members to shun Peggy. President Jackson sided with Peggy and tried to order John and the cabinet members to tell their wives to be nice to her. John refused, as did the others. It split the administration and resulted in the members resigning. John C. Calhoun, however, was elected on his own, so he didn't have to resign. In 1828, an extremely high protective tariff, which is a tax on imports to protect American manufacturing, was passed. Calhoun considered it a tax on one part of the country, the South, to benefit another part of the country, the North. And he was absolutely right. The tariff issue turned Calhoun from a nationalist to a sectionalist. It caused a split between President Jackson and Calhoun that was never repaired. Calhoun anonymously wrote the South Carolina Exposition in protest, which argued that if a state's rights were violated by a federal law, the state had the right to declare the law null and void within its boundaries. 
and South Carolina did that with this uh, tariff. The conflict got so heated that Calhoun resigned from the vice presidency and was immediately elected senator by the South Carolina legislature. South Carolina nullified the tariff and Jackson threatened to lead the army down there to put away resistance. It took a compromised tariff by Henry Clay to prevent a civil war in 1832. At the end of his life, Jackson said one of his uh, biggest regrets was that he'd never hanged John C. Calhoun. Prior to John C. Calhoun, slavery was looked upon as a necessary evil that would one day pass away. Calhoun rejected that view. He also rejected the natural rights listed in the Declaration of Independence. Calhoun stated in the Disquisition of Government, it is a great and dangerous error to suppose that all people are equally entitled to liberty. It is a reward to be earned, not a blessing to be gratuitously lavished on all alike, a reward reserved for the intelligent, the patriotic, the virtuous and deserving, and not a boon to be bestowed on a people too ignorant, degraded, and vicious to be capable either of appreciating or of enjoying it. <clears throat> in an 1837 speech, Calhoun stated that slavery is, instead of an evil, a good, a positive good. He noted that conditions for slaves was better than those who lived in the poor houses of Europe. He compared the slaves in the South to what he termed the wage slaves of the North. He wanted an alliance between the planter and manufacturer to hold down the slave issue. Calhoun believed that abolitionists were striking at the labor system in the South and eventually the North would monopolize all the territories. Calhoun favored what he called a concurrent majority, where each section of the country could veto laws they did not like. He also supported dual presidents, one from the North and one from the South, each having veto power over legislation. Southern statesmen took their lead from Calhoun and the defense of slavery hardened as the abolitionist movement slowly gained support. Calhoun served for about a year as Secretary of State at the end of President Tyler's term, then went back to the Senate. He opposed the Wilmot Proviso, which came about during the Mexican War, which would have excluded slavery from those territories gained from Mexico. It was defeated. Calhoun opposed the Compromise of 1850 as taking more power from the South. By this time, he was slowly dying of tuberculosis. Calhoun died of that disease on March 31, 1850. His views obviously did not save slavery, which was destroyed by the Civil War. The Calhoun Institute, however, states that Calhoun saw the future of a crony capitalism, central banks running the economy, a vast and ineffective central government, abuse of powers, fecklessness and discord in the political arena, and endless wars. Richard Hofstetter said he was the last American politician to work out a complete uh, system of government. Now, I mentioned at the outset how today's progressives are using Calhoun's ideas. I will give one example. Ibram X. Kendi has proposed an anti-racist amendment which would empower a department of anti-racism of formally trained experts who can override all local, state, and federal policies to ensure they don't yield racial inequality. They can discipline policymakers and public officials who don't go along with the experts. 
This seems to me to be concurrent majorities on steroids. It was a bad idea then, and it's an even worse idea now. Thank you for listening to Abbreviated Bios. If you think this type of program is valuable, please subscribe and share it. Thank you.